0: Today on The Matt Walsh Show, there has been a major push this week to promote the so-called dink community. These are the dual-income, no-kids, childless-by-choice folks who all say that their lifestyle is superior because it makes it so much easier to buy things. Also, The Daily Wire files a major lawsuit in defense of free speech. Donald Trump sends the media into a frenzy after saying that he'll be a dictator on day one of his second term. Of course, they're willfully missing the point in what he was saying. Plus, Dylan Mulvaney draws a crowd of literally dozens for his speech at Penn State, and Democrats embarrassed themselves during a hearing on the question of whether boys should be allowed to participate in girls sports. All of that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. The October 15th tax deadline has come and gone. And I know many of you may be dreading filing uh, your taxes and all the stress involved. Filing your taxes can be a long, excruciating process. But if you fail to file, you'll start to pile up penalties on top of your tax debt. That's why you need to check out Tax Network USA. The team at Tax Network USA has a track record of success They've reduced tax debt for numerous clients totaling over $1 billion. Whether you're looking at a $10,000 or a $1 million tax debt, they can help you with a settlement. doesn't matter if you haven't filed in one year, five years, even a whole decade. Tax Network USA is equipped to secure the best settlement for you. The tax attorneys and professionals at Tax Network USA can help resolve all tax cases no matter how they started. Don't let debt control your life any longer. Take the first step towards resolving your tax issues by visiting taxnetworkusa.com walsh. That's TaxNetworkUSA.com slash Walsh today. About a year ago, we first talked about the growing community of people who call themselves dinks. Now, dink may sound like some kind of racial slur, but it's not. Uh, Well, I mean, it was, technically. Some people used it as a pejorative term for the Vietnamese during the Vietnam War. It's also a term familiar to my fellow bass fishermen uh, used to describe any game fish below 12 inches in length. But in this case, dink uh, does not refer to either Asians or small fish. DINK is an acronym that stands for Dual Income No Kids. So these are the childless by choice folks, uh, those who get married and could have kids, but choose instead to have a barren, sterile relationship focused entirely on their own superficial wants and desires. Now, the DINKs are getting a lot of attention these days, especially over the past week. On Monday, Business Insider ran a piece titled, Meet the Typical Dink. They have over $200,000 in the bank and aren't paying for pricey childcare. The article tells us, quote, it seems like everyone wants to be a dink these days. Dink households that are double income with no kids are seeing their ranks grow, especially as a high cost of living and the climate crisis weigh particularly on people with children. There are variations on the dink or the sink, single income, no kids. You could be a dink wad, which means double income, no kids with a dog. Dink wads, who previously spoke to Business Insider, said that the lifestyle gives them financial stability, the capacity to travel, and the ability to dodge the ever-increasing cost of parenthood. And it's a lifestyle that's paying off as dinks emerge on top of a shaky economy. So who are the dinks of America? Their ranks are set to grow. They're making six figures and they want to spend their money on their pets and traveling. Yes, dink wad if you have a dog or I guess dink whack if you have a cat or dink wop if you own a pony or a pig or a parrot or if you're a big Cardi B fan. There are many variations, but they all boil down to the fact that you have decided to not have kids. And as the article details, This is a rapidly growing group. Quote, around 5% of the country's total population was cohabitating couples who do not live with a child under 18, and around 29% of the total population are married couples who do not live with a child under 18, according to the 2022 American Community Survey data. Among unmarried couples, that figure is slightly up from 2019, when 4.4% of the population was cohabitating couples not living with a child under 18. The U.S. Census Bureau also finds that the aging population is increasingly child-free. As of 2018, over 1 in 7 women were childless by the time they were between the ages of 40 and 44. That's higher than the 1 in 10 women who were in the same boat as of 1976. A Pew survey found that 44% of non-parents ages 18 to 49 said that they were not likely or not at all likely to have kids uh, at all someday, up from 37%. Okay, but what is the DINK existence really like? Well, this week there has also been, for whatever reason a sudden surge in TikTok videos promoting this lifestyle. And um, most of them kind of follow the same annoying format, which looks like this. Watch.
1: We're Dinks. We go to Trader Joe's and workout classes on the weekends. We're Dinks. We get into snobby hobbies like skiing and golfing. We're Dinks. We can go to Florida on a whim. We're Dinks. We're already planning our European vacation next year we Dinks. We get a full eight hours of sleep and sometimes more. We're Dinks. We get desserts and appetizers at restaurants. We're Dinks. We can play with other kids and give them back. <laughs> We're Dinks. We still do it three times a week. We're Dinks. We spend our discretionary income on $8 latte. <laughs> We're Dinks. We max out our 401ks, Roth IRAs, and HSAs. We're Dinks. We don't use our kids or dog as an excuse to leave a party. We just leave. <laughs>
0: Yes, well, I'm a cisk, single-income, six kids, and I can do you one better. I make no excuse to leave a party because I just don't go to parties in the first place. But I guess it has more to do with being Aswick antisocial with kids, which isn't much different from being ASWOC, antisocial without kids. But in any case, you may notice that most of the things they're bragging about, besides the ability to leave social gatherings when they want to, which I guess they imagine for some reason is something parents aren't able to do. But most of the things all revolve around their increased ability to buy stuff. And this is a theme that runs through basically all of the dink propaganda. Watch.
1: We're dinks. We're gonna get asked daily when we plan on having kids.
0: We're dinks. Of course we're gonna go out to eat every night after work.
1: We're dinks. We don't have to ask our family for financial help or to watch our kid when we want to go out.
0: We're dinks. We're gonna go to Costco and buy all the snacks in bulk that we want.
1: We're dinks. We have disposable income to spend on whatever we would like and don't have to spend on a kid.
0: We're dinks. I'm going to go to every football game and play 18 holes whenever I want.
1: We're dinks. We're going to get asked at every single family event what we're doing with our
2: life.
0: Yes, we're dinks. We can buy things. We can consume. Look at all the consuming we do. We are such dedicated consumers. You dumb parents with your dumb children. You can't possibly devote as much of your life to buying and eating, which is literally the only thing we care about in this world, apparently. And this is the message over and over again. Another example.
1: We're dinks. We're gonna be asked constantly by family, friends, and strangers when we're gonna have kids.
3: We're dinks. We're gonna go to Costco and buy all the snacks we want.
1: We're dinks. We're gonna support our friends who have kids, even if we decide to never have any.
3: We're dinks. We're gonna have, we're dinks. We're gonna have lots of, We're dinks. We're gonna have lots of disposable income to spend on whatever we like.
1: (laughs) We're dinks. We're gonna get chastised by people on the internet because they're gonna assume that we're just obsessed with material things, even though arguably you need a lot more material things once you have kids.
3: We're dinks. We don't need to find a sitter or rope our family into babysitting when we wanna go out for the night.
1: We're dinks. We're gonna be told the only way that we'll ever be fulfilled in life Is by having kids
3: we're dinks we're going to book flights whenever we feel like it
1: we're dinks we're still going to stick to a strict budget to meet our financial goals no matter how much wiggle room we have in our finances
3: we're dinks we're not going to make a life-altering choice just because everybody else is doing it period
0: (laughs) now as you're probably noticing uh, these people apparently have a weird preoccupation with costco They're making videos providing unsolicited lists of the things that make their lives fulfilling and somehow Costco makes the cut. Uh, Here's another one, watch.
2: We're kid-free, so we love to treat our furry babies
4: just like children.
0: We're kid-free,
3: we always get a full night's sleep and sometimes a nap.
2: We're kid-free, so obviously everyone's gonna ask us, so, when are you gonna have kids?
3: (laughs) We're kid-free, we love our family and friends' kids even if we don't want our own. (laughs) <laughs> You're high.
1: <laughs> I wish.
2: We're kid-free. Karens are constantly going to tell us, Why aren't we afraid of missing out? What if you never feel fully fulfilled or unconditional love without them? Well, Karen, don't you think that's a lot of pressure to put on your kids all of your needs? I think we'll be okay.
0: <laughs> We're kid-free. With only two mouths to feed, we can prioritize better Costco snacks. Okay, this Costco thing is really getting out of control, but let's just, just one more video
1: nobody talking about being dinks. Well, I'm freshly married and I'm going to talk about it. Here's our life as dinks in our early 30s. No shocker here, folks. Today we went to Costco.
0: Okay, enough with Costco. I mean, I like to buy cereal wholesale too, but I'm not going to make it my whole identity. So let's let's get a grip. So, so what's what's really going on here? Let's take a step back. And first of all, a few points. Uh, number 1, are you really trying to take ownership of Costco as childless people? That's like saying that a benefit of being childless is that you get to go to the Rainforest Cafe. I mean, those places exist for us, for parents. That is our domain. And for the record, I buy whatever snacks I want for myself whenever I want them, whether from Costco or anywhere else. My children do not prevent me from indulging in that way. The only difference is that if anybody asked me to provide a list of the things that I love most about my life, I wouldn't cite the fact that I can buy snacks for myself, okay? If somebody were to come to me and say, "What are you? what's the greatest thing about being you, Matt. What do you love the most? Well, I can buy snacks. I wouldn't say that, not because I can't buy snacks, but because that's a rather banal detail that I would think is probably not worth mentioning. And yet, for dinks, a snacks and Costco play apparently a central role in their lives. On their deathbeds, while they're lying there alone with no one to mourn them or care that they're dying or remember them when they're gone, if the hospice nurse, who's the only person who's going to be in the room with them, asks them to pass along a final piece of wisdom, they will look up and with their final dying breath, they will whisper, get a Costco membership. They have great deals on cheez See, a person's life has to revolve around something, it has to be dedicated to something. And even by their own testimony, it's clear that when people choose to be childless, their lives inevitably revolve around pure, self-centered, unadulterated, unencumbered consumption. That's not my accusation. That's, listen to them. Any one of these videos where these childless people talk about the benefits of being childless, that's them saying it, Is is that think of all the consumption we can do. Now, of course, it's true that the same is the case for many parents in the modern world. I mean, there are many parents who their lives also revolve around consumption. But Uh, At least if you ask the average parent, however they may actually live their lives, they will at least say that the thing that gives them purpose and joy is their relationship with their children and their spouses. They will talk about their families as the foundation of their lives. That shows at the very least that they are aspiring to something higher and greater than themselves. Whether or not they actually live up to their own aspirations is a different story, but the dinks don't even aspire to the transcendent. For them, there is no meaning in life except in their ability to sleep and eat and buy stuff. It is a deeply nihilistic way to live, and this is what makes the rise of the dinks so catastrophic. That is, aside from the more immediate and obvious fact that this is a community which, if it reaches critical mass, would actually bring about the end of mankind, which, by the way, is a pretty good indication that you're making a bad lifestyle choice, okay? If your lifestyle is one that, if adopted by a majority of humans, would spell the end of the human species, then that is a very powerful sign that there is something seriously wrong with your lifestyle. But aside from that, if it's possible to put that detail aside, the rise of the childless by choice demographic is the rise of a group that has, in principle, given up on finding any meaning in life beyond the multiplication and satisfaction of desire, to use Dostoevsky's phrase. They're so dedicated to this calling, so intent on consumption, that they are willing to end their own bloodlines to pursue it. They are willing to commit a sort of ancestral suicide just so they have more time to buy stuff. Now, just consider specifically that overweight male dink in the video who's especially excited about Costco. Well, one of them anyway, because they all were. But uh, take, take one of those guys and just put them in your, in your mind. His ancestors fought and struggled and persevered and pioneered and bled and suffered all so that he could exist. And and he stands now at the end of a procession that stretches back into the ancient past. We all do, right? Every single one of us. A, A line of people who made his very existence possible, who migrated thousands of miles and fought wars and tamed wildernesses and built homes and civilizations all for him. And he turns back to those people, to his ancestors, to his blood. And he says, "Uh, yeah, sorry guys, we're done. We're done here. Uh, You know, I'm going to end the bloodline right here. I'd rather have uh, some extra spending cash to buy Doritos, I've decided. The sheer hubris is astounding. Though, of course, I realize that this man would be totally mystified by the notion that he has any responsibility at all to his family, his ancestry, his bloodline, much less to the God who created him. He hasn't thought about any of this. He's thought only about his own immediate happiness. But in pursuing happiness above all, happiness through luxury, happiness through consumption, he will miss it. Because happiness comes from fulfillment, and fulfillment comes from doing that which you are made to do. Okay, it comes from finding your place in that ancient ancestral struggle, from taking part in it, from building the next generation so that the fight can go on. Happiness comes from fulfilling your purpose in life. It comes from pursuing the transcendent, not the transactional. So the dinks will grow in number, but they will also grow in misery. They will live superficial lives, and they will die anonymous deaths. And if they have their way, they'll take down all of civilization with them. But at least they'll get to spend more time at Costco. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, if you're single or if you know someone who's single, you've probably seen or heard about all the insane dating apps out there, but what if I told you there was a dating app that actually cared about your morals and your biblical values? Well, now there is with a new dating app called Higher Bond. Higher Bond is a new Christian dating app built to be safer, less stressful, and more Christ centered. Higher Bond is completely different than anything else out there. There's no addictive swiping. The focus is truly on quality over quantity, and it's designed to form lasting marriages. Higher Bond is a Christian company that's veteran owned by a husband and wife looking to change the way Christian singles meet online. You know, it's no secret that uh, left-wing media and big tech are against companies like Higher Bond. In fact, a big tech company uh, rejected Higher Bond from running ads because their website had the word Christian. Our society and our country need what Higher Bond is doing, and if you're single, you got to check out higherbond.com. Sign up before December 31st and get 3 months of Higher Bond premium absolutely free. That's higherbond.com today. All right, big news to start with from uh, the Daily Wire and also um, Related to The Daily Wire, it says uh, the article uh, on the homepage right now. The Daily Wire, the Federalist, and the state of Texas joined on Tuesday in a lawsuit against the U.S. State Department, alleging that the government agency funded uh, censorship technology designed to bankrupt domestic media outlets with disfavored political opinions. The State Department is tasked with uh, foreign relations and has no authority over domestic affairs, yet it took a government office designed for countering foreign terrorist propaganda, which is called the Global Engagement Center, And unleashed it against the Americans engaged in what it claimed was disinformation, according to the lawsuit filed in federal court in the Eastern District of Texas, uh, by the new Civil Liberties Alliance. It was, quote, one of the most audacious, manipulative, secretive uh, secretive, and gravest abuses of power and infringements of First Amendment rights by the federal government in American history, said the suit, which also names the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, and five other officials as defendants. The lawsuit asks the judge to declare the State Department's attempt to interfere with domestic speech illegal and to permanently bar it from developing, promoting, or encouraging others to use technology to de-amplify, shadow ban, or restrict the lawful speech of the American press and Americans. GEC was founded in 2011 as the Center for Strategic Counterterrorism Communications and tasked with countering propaganda of foreign terrorists like Al-Qaeda. In 2016, it was renamed but kept the same counterterrorism mission. Congress has made it clear that none of the funds authorized for the entity shall be used for purposes other than countering foreign propaganda. Nevertheless, GC turned its focus on Americans. The complaint alleges using taxpayer funds to finance the development and promotion of censorship organizations such as NewsGuard, which we've talked about on the show, and the Global Disinformation Index, which regularly targets conservative media outlets such as The Daily Wire and The Federalist with the stated goal of limiting ad revenue. Now, there's a lot more to this. I'm not gonna read the entire thing. It's a long article from uh, Luke Rosiak, but you should go to The Daily Wire uh, and and read it because um, it's a very important, very significant uh, free speech case. I I don't think that this lawsuit from uh, The Daily Wire and the Federalists and others is going to get a a ton of press, certainly not from the corporate press for obvious reasons, but even by other conservatives, I don't don't think it's going to get a lot of attention because it's not sexy, right? It's not flashy or showy. Instead, it is a smart and necessary and effective and substantive way to fight back against the censorship regime. And we know that very oftentimes the smart, necessary, substantive, effective things are the things that don't get a lot of attention. Uh, They aren't appreciated as much. Be that as it may, this is extremely important because this is how censorship works in the modern age. So for the most part, you know, the government is not coming in. And saying, you're not allowed to say this. All right, We 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 haven't we haven't had the government show up at the Daily Wire offices and say, uh, here are things you're not allowed to say anymore. They haven't sent federal agents into the office to raid, you know, our offices and cart me and Ben and Michael and Candace away in handcuffs. Like they haven't done that yet. It may come to that point. It may well come to that point, but it hasn't happened yet. Um, I, if if Joe Biden wins a second term, I would not be surprised. In fact, I would, if Joe Biden wins a second term, uh, and the country is run by his handlers for a second term, I would be surprised if we didn't get to the point where they were actually doing federal raids of, of, you know, um, prominent conservative media outlets and putting people like me in jail. But that's not where we are, where we are yet. Um, where we are now is it's a more underhanded approach. And the approach instead is to conspire to label us misinformation and to use that as a pretense to make our content less accessible through algorithms, um, or in this case, to deprive us of ad revenue, which in the long term is supposed to have the effect of shutting down our businesses. And you know, that's what makes the whole thing less uh, sort of dramatic, less attention grabbing in certain ways, because, you know, it's one thing if if we came to you and we said, the government is telling us we're not allowed to say this thing. Everyone knows that's a big deal. But it's different when we say the government is trying to label our content misinformation and make it less accessible through social media algorithms and deprive us of ad revenue indirectly. Like when you say that, people's eyes start to gloss over a little bit. Um, but they shouldn't, because it it is effectively the same thing. It's all they know they can't come in directly. And uh, and and point guns at us and say stop saying that again. Maybe eventually it'll come to that. Right now they can't get away with it, and so they're not doing that. And they found other ways to do it, and they're using counterterrorism agencies and they're using all these different uh, you know agencies and programs that were set up for other allegedly for other purposes. And they're doing it all under the guise of quote-unquote misinformation. And and who decides what what counts as misinformation? Well, of course, they do. The the ruling regime does. The people who believe that men can have babies and women have penises, these are the ones who are deciding what is misinformation. Which, by the way, even if we could trust their their, uh, judgment on what qualifies as misinformation, which we can't, Even if we could, I would still say this is all totally wrong. Because it's just not the government's job to counter misinformation. It's not the government's job to declare what sort of information you should have access to as as, as an allegedly free citizen of an allegedly free country. But it's made all the worse by the fact that, as we know, when they say misinformation, they simply mean information that they would prefer you not see whatever their reasons may be for that. And 99 times out of 100, the reason they don't want you to see it is not because it's wrong, but because, in fact, it's right. All right, the corporate media is in a bit of a tizzy today. Uh, They're always in a tizzy, but they're especially tizzied today after, according to their headlines, Trump confessed to being a dictator during a town hall with Sean Hannity last night. And in the town hall, the media says... Trump announced that he would be a dictator on day one in office. And as it turns out, that is actually what he said. Let's watch the clip.
4: I want to go back to this one issue, though, because the media has been focused on this and attacking you under no circumstances. You are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except
2: for. He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill, That's drill, not, a, no, that's, drill. A, that's not, oh, no. that's not retribution. I got I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, he keeps, <laughs> we love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, no, no. Other than day one, we're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. So that, okay? that, that sounds to me like you're going back to the policies <laughs> when you were president.
0: I love that clip. I mean, that, thats to me that is vintage Trump, um, and I don't think we've seen a lot of vintage Trump this cycle, uh, unfortunately. But that, to me, that's like that. You—you you, that if I didn't know any better, and you told me that was from 2016, I would have believed you because that's like 2016 era vintage Trump, and—and um, and so you see that glimmer of uh, of that, and it's great. And I love the clip for a bunch of reasons. First of all, because Sean is uh, like doing his thing, acting as campaign manager rather than interviewer trying to lead Trump into saying certain things. Like, this is not, you know, even if you're a Trump supporter and maybe you're happy that he gets a, a softball interview, it's like this is not even, what Sean Hannity does, it's not even an interview. This is like walking him through the things that he, it's, uh, it's like, so, Mr. Trump, Mr. President, here's what you are saying right now. Here's, here's what you're saying. And Trump's like, no, I'm not saying that. So, Mr. President, what you're saying is that this stuff about you being a dictator, that's you're not a dictator. No, I am. At least on day one. That's great. (laughs) And then Sean starts panicking, uh, and the whole thing is fantastic. Of course, now, what Trump is actually promising to do here is not illegal. Um, It's not retribution. It it isn't actually dictatorial. He's not saying he's going to suspend the Constitution and throw his enemies in prison. That's what Biden is doing right now. So if he did say he was going to do that, then all he would be doing is, is continuing uh, the Biden administration's current policies. But he's not even saying he's going to do that. He's just saying that he's going to ruthlessly and effectively wield power to move his agenda forward and to do the things that he has the power to do and that the American people will have voted for him to do. And um, that's what he's saying. You know, And he's saying it in a funny way, and it's it's, it's giving uh, Sean Hannity a condition fit, and it's giving the, the media a fit, and so it's a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, my problem with what you just heard there, my problem with Trump's dictator comment, is that he's only promising to do it on day one. Because if by dictator we mean, again, just ruthlessly and effectively wielding legal power to move forward your agenda and crush your enemies— well, he needs to be a dictator in that sense every day of his term. I don't want day, you know, it's day one. What about day two and three and four and five? And this has always been my critique of Trump's presidency. A lot of people, even to this point, after these many years, like they still don't understand what my criticism is. Okay, I know a lot of people have criticism of Trump and the left, it's one thing. And you got the never Trump, whatever crowd, and the Bill Crystals of the world who've become leftist. Or always were, but have uh, fully come out as leftists in response to Trump. Like, there's that. That's that's not my my own critique. Is is quite different. It's like the opposite of those people. Um. They say that he was a dictator. What I say is that he didn't wield his power nearly enough. Like he he was far too eager. And far too willing to kowtow to the left and to the media, and too desirous for, of their um, approval. You know, they paint him as this ruthless, like, uh, you know, pragmatist who's just out there getting stuff done. I, I, I want more ruthlessness. And to me, he was not nearly ruthless enough in the first term. Um, and so, I liked his response there, but. What I would like to hear in the future is, this is what we're doing day one, here's what we're doing day two, day three, day four, day five. It's not a day one thing. Because also, by the way, those are not things you can do in one day anyway, obviously. yeah, it wasn't, I know he wasn't speaking in, in, in literal terms here, but building the wall, all these kinds of things, like you can't do that in one day. Um... But what I would love to hear from you, and you kind of hear it there, is that this is like the attitude that you want, which is that like, I don't care if you call me a dictator or not. Sure, sure, whatever, I'm a dictator. That's kind of what Trump is doing here. He's doing the same thing that I I always say you know you should do when someone calls you transphobic or whatever because you're saying that men aren't women. Rather than rather than responding, as most Republicans and conservatives do, by saying, I'm not transphobic, just say, fine, okay, I am, I don't care. Like, if that's how you define transphobia is that I believe in... Um, biological reality, then sure, I am. I don't care. This is how you define dictator as someone who actually wields his legal power to move forward an agenda that you oppose. If that to you is what a dictator is, then yeah, I'm a dictator. Fine. Go ahead. Call me that. It doesn't matter. Perfectly fine. Cool. Yep. That's what I'll be. And so I think that's kind of what Trump is doing there. And um, I'd love to see more of it. All right, staying with politics for a moment. A clip of Nikki Haley has gone viral. This is actually from an interview back in the summer and it's just now getting uh, attention. I want to play I want to play the viral clip for you. And then we're going to play the full context um that Haley's defenders claim exonerates her but but doesn't really. But for, first, here's the viral clip that's gone viral over the last few days. Uh let's watch that.
3: Madam Ambassador, another question is what care should be on the table when a 12 year old child in this country assigned female at birth says, actually, I feel more comfortable living as a boy. What should the law allow the response to be?
2: I think the law should stay out of it and I think parents should handle it.
0: Okay. so she says that the law should not forbid doctors from sterilizing and castrating 12 year olds. Um, Admittedly, the clip does cut off abruptly. And Haley's fans, all seven of them, have said that the full context of her answer is not as bad as that clip makes it sound. Now, you might think to yourself, like, what could she possibly say after that to make the first part of it okay? And, well, let's, let's. I went and found the full clip. And uh, here's the full answer that she gives. And you tell me if you think it um, gets her off the hook. Let's see.
3: Madam ambassador, another question is what care should be on the table when a 12 year old child in this country assigned female at birth says actually I feel more comfortable living as a boy. What should the law allow the response to be?
2: I think the law should stay out of it and I think parents should handle it. This is a job for the parents to handle. And then when that child becomes 18, if they want to make more of a permanent change, they can do that. But I think up until then, we see with our teenage kids, they go through a lot during puberty. They go through a lot of confusion. They go through a lot of anxiety. They go through a lot of pressures. We should support them the whole way through. But we don't need to go and enforce something in schools. We don't need schools sitting there hiding from the parents Mm -hmm. what gender... Pronoun they're using. We don't need to have those conversations in schools. Those are conversations that should be had at home.
0: Okay, so yeah, it's just as bad that she doesn't. The full the full context of the clip does not do anything to um, to exonerate her in this case. She says that the law should stay out of it, and then she talks about parents' judgment and all the rest of it, and then she gets into you know when they're eighteen and all this. Um, you know, I'm at a point where. Even if she said the right thing about the law and said, yeah, the law should forbid, obviously, doctors from castrating and sterilizing uh, children. And she, she didn't say that. But I'm at a point where even if she had said that, if she then immediately followed it with, what, at 18? Yeah, go ahead and sterilize away. You know, yeah, then go ahead. Uh, then, then, of course, if, if doctors want to uh, prey upon confused people and permanently damage their bodies... Um, and take them out of the gene pool by sterilizing them and all that, then, yeah, perfectly fine. I'm at a point where, like, even that answer is just, well, I've, I've long been at, I've always been at this point, where even that answer is, is just unacceptable to me. Like, that that is way to, to, to to be okay with it at 18 is not as crazy as being okay with it for kids, but it's still really crazy. Um but she couldn't even go that far. She was not able to bring herself to say, obviously the law should prohibit medical institutions from sterilizing and castrating minors. And let me tell you something. If you cannot say that, if you are not even able to say that, if you lack the moral courage and fortitude to, to take a strong, clear stance against the castration sterilization of children, then you are not fit to run for office. You're not fit to be in office you are not substantively different from Democrats at all, which is why if if we if we end up in some bizarro universe where like, uh, Nikki Haley actually wins the nomination, which I think the chances of that are like .0001 percent, but hey, there's always a chance. Um, if that were to happen, then I think I I just wouldn't vote. I, I don't think that I would vote for Nikki Haley. I mean, I would never vote for a Democrat. I'd rather be dead than vote for a Democrat. But that's also why I wouldn't. I don't think I'd vote for Nikki Haley because I don't see. I just don't see how she's any different from a Democrat. Like she, she has she has caved on every single important social and cultural issue, um, and then on top of that, she's actually probably more likely to get us into World War III than a Democrat would be. So she's like not quite as bad as them on the cultural issues. She's still bad. But when it comes to the possibility of us getting involved in a in a needless uh, war overseas, you know she, she's she's probably even worse on that end. So that's how bad she is. I just think th- th- there's just nothing. What's the positive here with Nikki Haley? Could someone explain to me? It, it's just that she's a woman. Like that's the only re- the only reason she has any kind of political career right now is just that she's a woman. If she was a, its the only reason that some that some Republicans even now, even some conservatives. Still say, I love Nikki, Nikki Haley's great. I love Nikki Haley. I mean, You don't hear a lot of people saying that, but you do hear it sometimes. And the only reason is that she's a woman. It's the only reason. If she was a man, then everyone would see her as like, you know, she's just like Mitt Romney, but more socially liberal. All right. One last thing. Um, and here's my favorite story of the week, the best story of the week. Dylan Mulvaney spoke at Penn State last night, and he's on a college tour where reportedly he's getting paid uh, forty grand a pop to speak on campuses across the country. And um, at Penn State, they secured a 1,000-seat venue, expecting a huge crowd. And um, the event was last night, and here's what it looked like. Let's put that up. There it is. I mean, it, it is... <laughs> It, it looks like a, it looks, it looks, I was gonna say it looks like a Jeb Bush rally in 2015, but it's even worse than that. I'm told there were 90 people in a 1000 person room, just an absolute nightmare for Dylan Mulvaney. Um, you know, it, it's like, as a public speaker, it's the only thing you really, you know, if you've been doing it a while, people always ask me, like, you get up and talk, speak in front of a lot of people, do you get nervous? And the answer is no, the only thing that you really get nervous about is like having a situation like that happen. Okay, having, having way more empty chairs than people in a room, that's the nightmare. Um, and, uh, and that's what happened to him. And by the way, just a little bit of behind the scenes here. I can tell you that we actually briefly considered the idea that maybe um, I should go to Penn State to counter program Dylan Mulvaney. And his talk, we thought it could be like kind of funny if I showed up and held an event at the exact same time as him, and um, or you know, ideally, like what we really want to do is have have me show up at his event and ask a question in the Q and A, and then uh, and we all know what the question would be, just the one question, but then we found out that of course Dylan Mulvaney, the questions are submitted like days ahead of time, because he's not gonna, you know, unlike conservatives, we go to college campuses and we stand there, and of course we'll never get any credit. F- We'll never get credit for this from the left, obviously. Not that we need credit for them. But we'll go to a college campus and we will stand there live on camera and we will give a microphone to to a whole crowd, like a line of people. and We don't know any of them. And not only that, but if you disagree with this, we, we invite you to the front of the line and we hand you a microphone, cameras rolling, and we say, go ahead, take your best shot. Um, on the left, they would never do that, ever. Dylan Mulvaney would never, ever even consider doing that. Um, so we thought about that, then we realized we did that. We thought, well, maybe counter-program would be kind of funny. And we, we ultimately decided not to do not to do it at all because we, we heard kind of behind-the-scenes info from the campus that there was no buzz surrounding Mulvaney's talk at all. Like, nobody was interested. And we concluded that it, like if I show up, it would actually give more buzz to him. And so it's better to let him go and just fizzle out than to show up and create buzz and excitement um, where there wasn't any to begin with. And so uh, looking at this turnout, I think we made the right call because this is embarrassing. Like, this is the kind of crowd that I would pull five years ago before I even had a podcast. Um, like, back when the only room I could fill would be at a home homeschooling conference. And this is a situation for Dylan Mulvaney now in spite of the relentless media hype. I mean, he was just on the cover of Forbes, okay? And... And this is the turnout, and it goes to show you there's a reason I'm bringing this up, and it isn't just to gloat uh, Gloat about it. Well, it is to gloat. I mean, that's mainly what it is. I'm just laughing. Ha ha, you're a loser. Like, that's mainly what I'm doing here because it's a lot of fun. But if you remember back to the Bud Light days and, um, and before that, when Mulvaney was first coming on the scene, and uh, I was a pretty relentless critic of his, as you recall, and at the time, people on the right accused me of helping Mulvaney by making him famous. And um, that, that, was, that was the accusation. But, of course, it was, and as I tried to explain at the time, it was never about making him famous. Okay, The corporate media and Hollywood had already selected him to be famous. Nothing I can do about it. Nothing you can do about it. That, des- that decision has been made. So the system, they will select certain people, And they'll come along and they'll say, You're our person. Like, you're our mascot for whatever it is that you're supposed to represent. And when they decide that, like, they can make you famous. They can make anyone famous if they just decide. All they can do is give you a lot of coverage and talk about you, and you're famous. Like, whether people like it or not, they know about you now. Um, You know, look what they did with Stacey Abrams, for example. She is essentially a household name, and yet she's never won anything, she's never done anything. She has no charisma, she has no talent to speak of, but the corporate media in Hollywood, the system, they engineered her fame. And they decided to do the same thing with Mulvaney. They wanted to make him a mascot of transgenderism to help promote it to the public, and especially to kids. And that's what made it dangerous. Like, when you see what they're doing and why they're doing it, that's when you realize, okay, this person is dangerous because of how the system wants to use him. And so what I wanted to do and what some of us on the right wanted to do was counteract that move by making sure that Mulvaney's brand was viewed as it is, which is toxic, ridiculous, embarrassing, and creepy. That's what we decided. Okay, you you selected this guy. He's going to be your mascot to push transgenderism. You want to make him a mainstream, you know, figure, a quote-unquote unproblematic mainstream figure. And some of us said, no, we're not going to let you do that. You know, you you, you selected him for this, and so now we're going to go and uh, we're going to go on the attack. And it's just the way that it's going to be. And I think our effort was obviously successful because now he is radioactive to corporate brands and he can't draw a crowd on campus. Um, so, total victory. And it's the kind of victory that does matter. And if you're on the right and you still can't see that, well, then you're, you're basically useless at this point. So, great stuff. Let's get to was Walsh wrong. <laughs> Well, if you haven't heard, my wife uh, surprised me with yet another dog in my house. And I'm really excited about it. Excited to have a new dog. And I'm also excited to give this dog rough greens as well. Maybe I'll start posting videos of the dogs uh, racing. The winner gets to stay in our family and the loser has to go. That's actually a good idea. Maybe we could do that. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black, the founder of Rough Greens, is focused on improving the health of every dog in America. Before I started feeding my dog Rough Greens, I had no idea that dog food is dead food. It contains very little nutritional value. Think about it. Nutrition isn't brown, it's green. Let Rough Greens bring your dog's food back to life. Rough Greens is a supplement that contains all the necessary vitamins, minerals, probiotics, omega oils, digestive enzymes, and antioxidants that your dog needs. You don't have to go out and buy new dog food. Just sprinkle Rough Greens on their food every day. Dog owners everywhere are raving about Rough Greens. It supports healthy joints, improves bad breath, boosts energy levels, and so much more. We are what we eat, and that goes for dogs, too. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black is so confident Rough Greens will improve your dog's health. He's offering my listeners a free Jump Start trial bag so your dog can try it. Get a free Jumpstart trial bag delivered straight to your door in just a few business days. Go to roughgreens.com slash Matt or call 844-ROUGH-700. That's ruff greens.com slash Matt, or call 844-ROUGH-700 today. Okay, a few comments on this uh, dink situation. One says, I don't understand the judgment towards those that choose either path. It's for each individual to decide for themselves what's best for them. Neither those with children or the childless should hate on their opposites. We're all just living the life that's right for ourselves. Another comment says, people can't fathom the possibility of somebody wanting to choose childless freedom and financial stability instead of having a child. Not everything revolves around consumerism. People feed the consumerism machine significantly more as a parent than as a non-parent, and it's not even close. Um, Another comment says, it's great, we're self-sufficient, and we don't put our offspring in public schools, increasing your taxes. We contribute to society and take little away. Y'all need us. You're just jealous because you pursued the meat-flesh dance and now have to be responsible for it until it graduates. It. It. Okay, by the way, if you're a childless by choice person and you refer to kids as it, you're not doing yourself any favors. Like, you you, you literally sound like a cartoon villain. It, that, that thing. Oh, you mean a chi- a human child? Like, What the hell is, are you, are you really that evil that that's how you, is that really how you uh, see children? Again, you're not doing yourself any favors. You just come off like an abs- you, you come off like absolute scum when you say things like that. Whether you are absolute scum or not, I don't know. But uh, you certainly have have uh, made it seem that way. A few things. First of all, um, I pass judgment on the childless by choice people when they when they take the time to announce their cho- their choice to the world, and they promote its alleged benefits. And and this is the way that it works if you are a sentient, self-aware creature. That once someone puts a fact in front of you, once they introduce something to you, you are going to form a perspective on it. Because we all have a perspective on everything. Even if it's something totally innocuous. Like if you came up to me and said, I had a grilled cheese sandwich yesterday for lunch. Doesn't matter, but like you have Told me this, and so now I'm gonna have. I, I will hear it, and I'll receive that information. And being that I have a subjective uh, point of view on the world, I'll have a point of view about that. And it might be like, oh, grilled cheese. Uh, you you know what kind of lunch is that for a grown up? Like I might have a thought like that. If you don't want, if you don't want me to have any thoughts like that, don't don't tell me that. You didn't need to tell me that, but you did. So when you say. I've decided not to have kids for these reasons. Well, I literally cannot help but have a certain view on this thing you've told me about. I am a human being, not a rock, not an inanimate object. If you don't want me to have a point of view about your lifestyle choices, um, don't tell me about your lifestyle choices. And the second thing is we see in these comments again, as always, the false choice, right? People choose financial stability instead of having kids. That is a false choice. Okay? I have both. I am more financially stable than everyone in those videos that we just played. And I have six kids on a single income. So you can have both. You just can You can be financially stable with kids, and you can be financially unstable without them. Um, And, of course, anytime someone says that, and then I say, well, that's not my experience, then I'm always, well, but your your experience is different. It's totally different. It's totally different. No, it's not. I'm not special. My my experience would be different if I was born a billionaire or something, but I wasn't. I'm just a normal person. Found my own way in life. Um, Just like anyone else can. But I never viewed it as a choice. Even when we first started having kids and we were broke, we never said to ourselves, well, you know, we, 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 we decided we, that we're gonna let's have kids rather than be financially stable. You know, we never sat down and 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 like looked at a, you know, and and charted this out and said, well, we can go this path of financial stability or we can have kids. You know, we did. We we said, how can we do both? We, we want to do both. We want to have a family and we also want to be financially stable. How can we achieve that? And uh, and we did. Now, I think what you want to say, or what you should be saying, is that financial instability becomes a more burdensome thing, a more significant problem if you have kids. There's more on the line, and that's true. But that's always the way it goes. If you live a high-impact life, failure will hurt more. If you do significant things, you also take significant risk, risks. Like if you fall off a mountain when you're only two feet off the ground— it's not going to hurt very much. If you're if you're 200 feet off the ground, it's going to hurt a lot more. So is that an argument for never climbing the mountain? Is that how you want to live? Like never going above sea level? Not me. And third, to the guy who said that, um, you know, dinks contribute to society and that we need you. Uh, no. I mean, by definition, we don't need you. You have made yourself disposable from a civilizational standpoint. The future of civilization rests entirely on the shoulders of those of us who have chosen to have families. Without us, civilization ends. Without you, it it, it hums along perfectly fine. You have chosen to live a life of almost no long-term consequence at all. That's just a fact of the matter. Unless you go and cure cancer or do something really significant like that, most likely you've chosen to live in a way where you'll leave no legacy behind. Um, and your impact and memory will fizzle out and be totally erased within like days of you dying. And I don't say that as an insult or to make you feel bad. I'm just like, that's it. That's the reality. People should be honest with you about what that means. And that's it. Um, so does does society need like what, what kind of a what kind of a ridiculously stupid thing is that to say that society needs adults who don't have kids? No, we don't. We we actually don't. Um. Now you as an individual, uh, you know, we're all special snowflakes in our own individual way, right? So not, um, well, that's not really true, but. We all certainly have worth as human beings individually but I mean from a civilizational standpoint um, yeah we don't we don't really need you like the whole future of the human race you understand rests completely on the shoulders of those of us who are doing the work of building families and continuing that ancestral ancient struggle that we talked about at the opening And you can choose to be a part of that, or you can choose to bow out. But if you bow out, then you have made yourself, from a historical perspective, basically irrelevant. You know, there's no question that we are living in a clown world. And uh, the characters in power are straight out of a carnival. Basic notions of right and wrong, justice, truth, and even reality itself have been thrown out the window... The world is coming to an end. Join Jonathan Peugeot in the new four-part series, End of the World, as he explains why the world as we know it is ending, how to survive, and how we can plant the seeds for the next world today. Jonathan Pajot is an icon carver, public speaker, YouTuber, and good friend of Jordan Peterson. You might remember Peugeot from his profoundly illuminating comments in Jordan's series on Exodus. Now he's back and will draw upon his deep knowledge of Christian tradition, stories, mythology, and history to explain the contradictions in our society, the wacky phenomena, and how this pattern will reach its conclusion in End of the World. You'll receive a thoughtful framework to make sense of these confusing times and a roadmap to lead us out of the clown world and restore order. First episode is available today exclusively on Daily Wire+. If you haven't become a member, this is the perfect time. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Unmask the carnies and see beyond the end. Watch End of the World today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Richard Nixon signed Title IX into law in 1972. And here's the text of the relevant part of the legislation, which you rarely see mentioned in any of the news reports discussing the law. But here it is. Quote, No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation and be denied of the benefits of or Be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Now, when that law was passed, there were some organizations and politicians who raised concerns about it. The NCAA was worried that that would lead to cuts in certain men's programs and uh, cost a, a lot of revenue. That was not an unreasonable concern. A lot of funding had to be redirected to women's sports, and it had to come from somewhere. Meanwhile, some legislators felt that the federal government shouldn't be in the business of telling schools how to operate. Title IX, you know, seems simple, it's basically just one line but implementing it was obviously going to be complicated. And indeed, there have been many decades of new rules and amendments and court cases that have cropped up as the federal government has sought to clarify the meaning of the law. But what nobody believed in 1972 is that Title IX extended to protections to what are now commonly called transgender athletes. Not a single person on the planet at the time thought that Title IX would allow men to put on a wig and compete in women's sports and circumvent the entire law. But on June 22nd, 2021, the Biden uh, Biden administration's Department of Education decided to unilaterally change the meaning of Title IX. They didn't propose a new law. They didn't get one passed. Instead, the Biden administration simply declared that Title IX prohibits more than just sex discrimination. They said that the law also prohibits discrimination on the basis of, quote-unquote, gender identity and sexual orientation. Now, that was inconsistent with multiple previous determinations by the Department of of Education. It also flew in the face of the plain meaning of the law, as well as common sense. And that's why there are currently various legal challenges to these uh, changes. Texas is leading one of them. It's also why there was a hearing in the House Oversight Committee yesterday about the Biden administration's proposed changes to Title IX. And these hearings are always interesting because they give trans activists some room to make their argument. And normally, they just call people names and they shout everybody down. Uh, trans activists don't usually articulate their position because when they try to, it never takes very long before they completely discredit themselves. That's what happened this summer, which was the last time Congress held a hearing on transgenderism. That's exactly what happened yesterday. And crucially, it also is an opportunity for the other side, the sane side, to be heard. And speaking of which, and just as an interesting side note, My team was actually directly involved in in behind the scenes and making sure this hearing happened, and uh, I was supposed to be there to testify. At the last minute, I was uninvited because I was told that my presence would be a distraction, which makes sense, I guess. You wouldn't want one of the leading voices in the fight against gender ideology to distract you during a hearing about gender ideology. But putting that aside, the good news is that to the extent that the hearings can have winning and losing teams, the Democrats lost the hearing and they lost it just by opening their mouths. So here, for example, is AOC explaining her argument for why under Title IX, men should be allowed to dominate women's sports. And she begins by saying that right-wingers are obsessed with the trans issue, even though the whole point of the hearing is that the Biden administration is trying to redefine a federal law for the sake of trans people without going through Congress. Democrats are the ones trying to unilaterally transform the way educational institutions work, all because they think trans rights are so important. So you know, that's a nonsense argument once you hear, and it's one that you hear all the time. But then AOC launched into a slightly less common argument, and here's what she said.
2: Ms. Goss Graves, can you tell us a little bit about what sex testing looks like for youth in states with trans athletic bans?
4: It's terrible. Uh, In some states, any individual could challenge whether someone is a girl enough to play. In some states, it requires actual genital verification, which is shocking. Mm -hmm. Um, And there aren't, it's not as if there And let me just stop you right there. You said there are some proposals, and we've
2: seen this in Ohio. There was a proposed ban on trans athletes that originally allowed for genital examinations on minors in order to quote, unquote, protect women. Is that correct? Unfortunately, yes. And so we're seeing here in this guise, under the guise of not only trying to further marginalize trans women and girls, we are talking about opening up all women and girls to genital examinations when
0: they are under age. Okay, now as bizarre as all that is, it's something you hear from Democrats all the time. Every conversation about gender ideology becomes to them a conversation about genitals. In fact, it's very common that if you say something like, children should not be indoctrinated into, into gender ideology, a leftist will quickly retort, why are you talking about children's genitals, huh? Well, we weren't talking about that, you freak. You're talking about it. and. Here was AOC at a congressional hearing ranting about genital exams. Now, there are some major problems with this argument that all boil down to the fact that it's a very stupid and creepy thing to say, but, but let, let's break it down. First of all, there are no genital exams actually going on. And yeah, laws have already been passed banning boys from girls sports in a number of states, They're not conducting genital exams. In fact, prior to the country losing its mind about a decade ago, Every school in every state only allowed girls to play girls' sports, and there were no genital exams involved, okay? Um, like many people, I played sports when I was in public school. There was no genital exam at any point. And that was at a time when only boys played boy sports and only girls played girl sports. Now, uh, so that, that tells you right there that the whole concern, like, they... When we say only girls should play girl sports, all we are saying is let's return to the same system that was in place since the beginning of the existence of organized sports up until 15 seconds ago. That's all. And so if you have any kind of like slippery slope, overly dramatic, um, you know, alleged fear about what that will look like. Well, we don't need to speculate. What will it look like to only allow boys and boys sports and girls and girls sports? It will look like what it looked like for decades. Just go back and, and look at the way it worked then. And that's how it will work now. And, you know, in the vast majority of cases, these quote-unquote trans girls and girls sports are are boys who played boy sports and then decided somewhere along the process to become girls. So the fact that they're trans is not a mystery. No further inquiry is necessary. Most of the time, these are boys who are boys and they identify as boys, and then one day they say, "Yeah, actually, I'm a girl." And so we, there's there's no, we don't we don't need to have any conversation about whether this person's really a boy or a girl. It's incredibly obvious to everyone. Now, if there is any sort of confusion, then usually a glance at the birth certificate should clear that up. And if this is happening in a state that insanely allows you to retroactively change your birth certificate to claim a biological sex that isn't your own, well, then we'll just have to change the laws that allow that. I wonder, though, borrowing a point that Dan Bajino made this morning, when someone like Joe Biden promises to nominate a female vice president— which he did promise that, remember? Is he saying he's going to conduct a genital exam? In fact, in any of the myriad contexts where government agencies or companies specifically go out looking for females to hire in order to fill some diversity goal, are genital exams ever a part of it? Does anyone ever worry that they will be? Has AOC ever objected to programs or initiatives that target women on the grounds that they would necessitate genital exams? Of course not. Because this whole talking point is ludicrous nonsense. Now, as the hearing went on, the arguments from Team Trans got even worse. Fatima Graves, who, despite being unable to define the word woman, somehow runs the National Women's Law Center, made her case for why women should be forced to compete with men. And specifically, she said, it's important to teach women how to, quote, lose gracefully. Because that's an important life skill, she says. Listen.
4: Success in school sports depends on a whole range of factors, including how hard you work and coaching and access to really good resources and facilities. And trans students participate in sports for the same reason as their kids, because it is fun, because it creates belonging and community, because it teaches so much about persistence and leadership and and discipline, unless they learn to lose gracefully hopefully and often they learn to win with dignity hopefully Um, they learn to do the sort of work that means you have higher grades and stay connected to school i want every kid to have that chance to have the chance to play
0: so it's a revealing clip, although obviously not in the way that Fatima Graves intended it to be. Yes, it's good for young people to play sports so that they understand hard work pays off and that cheating is wrong and that you know improving their physical fitness leads to tangible results. That's one reason among many that's a terrible idea to reward boys who don't work as hard and who cheat in the most obvious way possible. Telling girls to lose gracefully to men is like defending steroids in baseball on the basis that those who are not on steroids should learn to lose gracefully to those who are. Only this is way worse, because it is significantly crazier to allow men in women's sports than to allow steroids in baseball. Now, fortunately for people who can see the humor in all this depravity, Congresswoman uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was listening to Fatima Graves testify, and it didn't take her long to pick apart what she said. Watch.
5: And you mentioned that you're a fan of Serena Williams. Is that right?
4: I am. I'm a Williams sister fan. I'm a tennis fan. I'm actually a fan of most sports. I grew up playing sports and in a family that understood that there is so much value in playing sports, whether you're the best or not the best. I agree
5: with you. And I'm a fan of Serena Williams, too. I think she's strong. I think she's powerful. And I think she's beautiful. In 2013, Serena Williams stated... If I were to play Andy Murray, I would lose six to zero, six to zero in five to six minutes, maybe 10 minutes. No, it's true. It's a completely different sport. The men are a lot faster and they serve harder, they hit harder, it's just a different game. So sounds like she, she does not think she could beat men either. But let's talk about some of your comments. You said that uh, this is attacking and dehumanizing on trans. Um, Ms. Goss-Graves, how do you think Ms. Gaines felt, do you think she felt dehumanized being forced to undress in front of men in her sports or attacked? Here's what I think. That's a yes the, or no question. But I, if I can, Being forced to undress question, in front Madam of a man, Chairman, isn't that dehumanizing or I attacking? I answer
4: this question, Madam Chairman, because I actually think this is really, really important. The issue of privacy in locker rooms and in bathrooms, there's a wide range of So you feel like Ms. Schools. Gaines should have had privacy?
0: So uh, she has no answer to the fact that men are better at sports than women. She doesn't want to talk about whether she'd enjoy watching the Williams sister get trounced by men. But she's very passionate about, about uh, putting up curtains in locker rooms, which she, she uh, suggests, so that women don't have to look at the penises of their competitors. That's the priority of the National Women's Law Center. They want women to get completely destroyed and humiliated, and as part of that process, they want every women's locker room in the country to be redesigned to accommodate men. And somehow, as the hearing went on, the arguments kept getting even worse. At one point, Congress, uh, man, Congressman Jasmine Crockett went on, Our Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett, went on a, a, a bizarre rant about states that she called deplorable, including Florida and her own home state of Texas, watch.
2: In fact, Ms. Perry, I know your organization, the Heritage Foundation, loves Texas. Ooh, they love Texas. They always sending us some nonsense bills um, that somehow set this country on the wrong trajectory. They send them to Texas. They send them to Florida. Every deplorable state that we can think about, they usually in out of y'all's think tank.
0: This is someone who was elected to Congress and then put on a committee, and she can barely speak. And to be clear, she's calling the entire states deplorable. A state she represents is deplorable. Like not even pretending, she she hates her own state that she has been represented, that she has been uh, at least uh, that she is one one of those elected to represent. Every person who lives in Texas, Lord, is deplorable. Apparently, and anyway, I'm, I'm well, we know that at least one person in Texas is deplorable, and she's sitting right there. And this is what it's come to for Democrats. So th- this whole hearing was, in a word, a debacle. And again, so far, I've only presented the left's arguments. They're so self-discrediting and so embarrassing that I don't need to play any of the testimony from the witnesses called by the conservatives, witnesses including Riley Gaines, who all, by the way, made eloquent and powerful arguments. They did a tremendous job making the Democrats look like fools. And the Democrats did an even better job making themselves look like fools. This is the way it goes. The trans argument is so absurd that it quickly becomes self-parody. And at one point in the hearing, Congressman Eric Burleson and Riley Gaines uh, made that exact observation. Watch.
3: I just want to say, you know, to to Mrs. Gaines, what happened to you was is tragic. I mean, the, what you were robbed of your the glory, you were robbed of your opportunity to um, to be clearly the victor. And it's if if it weren't so tragic, it would be comical. I mean, and I understand there's a movie being made, a comedy about this very issue, um, that on the Daily Wire that I can't wait to see. <laughs>
4: I encourage everyone to watch it. Um, And truthfully, I think that's what's needed uh, because what we're seeing, again, what myself and my teammates and my competitors saw was a mockery, a mockery of women. Uh, And I believe it's time we mock the mockery through comedy because you're right, it's objectively funny. Uh, It's inherent to to almost look at this and laugh because it feels like satire. Uh, But watching that movie, uh, to which I watched, uh, it didn't feel like satire, it felt like a documentary of what, again, myself and girls around the country continue to go through.
0: And that's the main reason Lady Ballers is so successful is that transgenderism is so incoherent that it's comical. You don't have to exaggerate what these people believe. You don't need to lie about it. Really, all you gotta do is take what they're saying to its logical conclusion, put it on camera, and uh, you get a comedy. Put a microphone in front of these lunatics, give them some space, and um, hilarity naturally ensues as well. That's what we did with Lady Ballers. And unfortunately for trans activists and their allies in the Democrat Party, It's exactly what the House Oversight Committee did yesterday. And we all got to see it once again. And it's why the Democrats on that committee and everywhere else in the country are today canceled. That'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.